The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, with tenofovir and emtricitabine as a safe and highly effective method of preventing HIV infection in high-risk populations in 2014. But although the CDC estimates that more than 1.1 million people in the United States would benefit from PrEP, it's been prescribed to only 136,000 people since it went on the market. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Robert Goldstein, an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School and medical director of the Transgender Health Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Goldstein has co-authored a perspective article about barriers to improving access to PrEP. Dr. Goldstein, as you write in your article, tenofovir and emtricitabine as PrEP was approved by the Food and Drug Administration in 2012. What evidence did the FDA use to make that decision, and what have we seen about the effects of the medication since that time? The FDA approved the medication in 2012, and CDC followed up in 2014 with pretty strong recommendations for certain individuals to be prescribed pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, for HIV prevention. Most of the data prior to 2012 came from large randomized controlled trials, the largest of which most were published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2010 and 2012. That was the IPREX study and the Partners PrEP study. And they enrolled large numbers of men who have sex with men, as well as heterosexual men and women, and showed a dramatic decrease in the risk of HIV transmission for those that were taking pre-exposure prophylaxis, or tenofovir emtricitabine. Subsequent to the FDA approval in 2012 and with ongoing efforts by CDC and other healthcare organizations, we've seen real-world demonstration projects throughout the world that have shown even higher rates of protection for those that are on pre-exposure prophylaxis. There are some estimates exceeding 90% risk reduction for those that are taking tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate emtricitabine. And we've shown that this is an effective method for people to prevent HIV and that those communities that have high uptake of pre-exposure prophylaxis have dramatic decreases in the HIV rates. And the most recent example comes out of New South Wales and Australia, where we've seen a large number of men who have sex with men enrolled in a clinical trial to increase the rates of pre-exposure prophylaxis prescriptions, and we've seen the rates of HIV plummet after prescription of the medication. Going back to the approval those years, 2012-2014, what did early uptake look like, and how's the rate of uptake changed over the years? Initially, there was not incredibly high uptake of pre-exposure prophylaxis in communities at risk, and some of that had to do with lack of provider knowledge and lack of education around how to prescribe PrEP, how to follow those that are on pre-exposure prophylaxis, and even how to figure out who is at highest risk for HIV and who should be placed on pre-exposure prophylaxis. The manufacturer of tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate emtricitabine has recently published their data on the number of PrEP prescriptions. And in 2012, it was less than 10,000 prescriptions had been prescribed in the United States for the medication. But just five years later, over 100,000 prescriptions had been distributed across the country to those that are at highest risk. As you mentioned at the start of the podcast, the CDC believes that there are 1.1 million people who are at risk for HIV and should be prescribed pre-exposure prophylaxis. So there's still quite a disparity between the number needing pre-exposure prophylaxis and those that are being prescribed the medication. So you mentioned educational outreach. What kinds of outreach have been done about PrEP, and why do you think awareness of its existence continues to be so low in certain communities? I think when we talk about education and outreach, we have to talk about two sides of that. One is reaching the communities at risk for HIV, and the other is reaching the medical providers that serve those communities. And we've seen successes and failures in both of those. 
For example, there are increasing numbers of primary care providers, HIV specialists, and infectious disease providers who are prescribing PrEP across this country and enrolling people in PrEP programs. A lot of this has come through support from city, state, and federal public health campaigns that have made it much easier for prescribers to learn about PrEP, to learn how to monitor patients who are on tenofovir amtricitabine, and to find help navigating complications. But from the provider side, we see that these efforts aren't filling in all of the gaps. Surveys of infectious disease fellows, those where the comfort for this type of prescription should be the highest, show very low levels of PrEP knowledge and comfort with PrEP prescription, even for those that have completed their fellowship training. We know primary care providers are oftentimes unaware of PrEP and that they aren't aware of the program's benefits or how to prescribe the medication. And it's not just infectious disease and primary care providers, but other providers that need education as well. A recent retrospective study came out of South Carolina that took a look at prior healthcare encounters for patients with new diagnoses of HIV. Nearly two-thirds of those people that had been diagnosed with HIV had been seen in the emergency room prior to their diagnosis, and about 30% were diagnosed with bacterial sexually transmitted infections at the time of that presentation. And so we need to do better educating across the medical spectrum so that all providers who are seeing patients at risk for HIV can prescribe PrEP. But the other side to this is talking about the communities at risk and making sure that those communities understand their own HIV risk. There are certainly disparities in that knowledge, both in the existence of PrEP as a method for HIV prevention, as well as its efficacy. As we highlight in the manuscript in the article, there are surveys that have come out of black men at risk for HIV across this country that show 50 to 75% of those at risk have no knowledge of pre-exposure prophylaxis. And in some cohorts, up to 25% of black men in this country doubt the efficacy of PrEP as an HIV prevention strategy. And so we have to look at areas that have done this well and have educated these communities. We highlight New York City, San Francisco, and Fulton County, Georgia, which has the highest HIV prevalence in the state of Georgia, as programs that have a commitment to involving the communities at risk while they develop and distribute their marketing materials as well as programs that build trust and build understanding of how individuals think about themselves and think about their own HIV transmission risk. So once you get past those issues on the provider side and on the patient side, you also run up against the high cost of the medication and issues with insurance coverage. So how common is it for insurance companies to deny coverage of PrEP? It depends by the state. I think to take a step back, we should recognize that pre-exposure prophylaxis is part of a comprehensive program to prevent HIV. It includes the cost of the medication, the lab monitoring, the sexually transmitted infection and HIV testing that's required, as well as clinic visits, and can come in with an annual cost of over $10,000, which is an incredibly high cost for someone to pay out of pocket. And we know that those that are at highest risk for HIV infection, as we highlight the Latino and Black men who have sex with men and men who have sex with men living in the south of this country, are more likely to be uninsured or underinsured. When I say it's a matter of thinking state by state, the Affordable Care Act has been a really important intervention to address some of these disparities, but we've seen that certain states with high risk of HIV infection, with large populations of Black and Latino men who have sex with men, and with the greatest PrEP needs, are also those states that are less likely to have expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And we know from recent data that those states that have not adopted Medicaid expansion, they have a fraction of the number of people on pre-exposure prophylaxis compared to those that have expanded Medicaid. Finally, 
What can individual physicians do to help address the barriers that prevent people who could benefit from PrEP from getting access to it? I think there are many things that individual physicians can do in the exam room. One is to have a conversation about HIV risk and to discuss an individual's approach to their HIV prevention strategy. Another is to educate themselves. Providers, as I highlighted previously, need to know how to prescribe pre-exposure prophylaxis, how to monitor people who are on tenofovir amtricitabine, and how to make sure that they can troubleshoot any complications that may come up. And I think the third is to think about stigma and discrimination of the Black and Latino communities, of the men who have sex with men who are presenting to primary care and other medical practices, and make sure that everything that is done is done in a way that tries to eliminate or decrease the stigma that those people are feeling. If we can encourage people to come into the physician's office, if we can encourage physicians to have open and honest conversations around HIV prevention and HIV risk, we can hopefully begin to bend the curve of new HIV infections in the United States. Thank you, Dr. Goldstein.